Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Deepen Podcast with Pastor Joby Martin, Pastor Ryan Britt. Uh, We are here on week five of the Live Abundantly series talking about a incredible, important topic, treasure, earthly treasure. Um, Feeling good? You guys feeling good about this? It's all good, bro. It's also called Commitment Weekend for us. And uh, this, during this series, we've been praying through what uh, God might be calling us to do in terms of a financial commitment to finish out this 1010 Life journey. So uh, anything you'd like to, to introduce or catch us up on, Pastor Joe, before we jump in from the sermon? Um, just the, the idea behind this series, Live Abundantly, is we're in pursuit of this abundant life because Christ the Good Shepherd is in pursuit of us. Abundant life is found in Him. But for years, we've known people that love Jesus with all their heart and sing loud and raise their hands and attend church a lot. Mm. But the Proverbs talks about a bunch of landmines that can take the unwise or the foolish person out. Mm -hmm. And so we were studying really four landmines that take a lot of people out, and we saved the best for last, which is money. Mm. I especially thought, I mean... It hits home. You use the illustration of, of families and friendships that have split up. I, I mean, I thought of some really personal examples of people that I know near and dear, you know, that have had that, have that exact thing happen Yeah, with the or, will or business. Or churches, man. Yes. Churches that just get, you know, get sideways on money, don't have good accountability or, you know, and it, and it gets... Like the enemy has used this thing because money is spiritual. It has spiritual power, you know, mm-hmm. that money lies to us, right? It, the, the lie of money is if you love me, I'll love you back. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll satisfy you and I will bring security. And it just can't. Mm. You know, the Bible says he who loves money will never have money enough. Mm-hmm. It's just true. Mm. Well, we were, uh, we were actually talking about this earlier today. But how, how did this idea of the firstness, the first and best, first fruits, how did that idea first become uh, some, something important to you and to our church? So years and years and years ago, there was about three or four things that converged together all at one time. <clears throat> one is that uh, we joined Acts 29, right, as we were launching the church. And um, the, the theological depth and robust doctrinal study amongst the brothers in Acts 29 is very rich. Mm-hmm. And so um, talking about God's sovereign grace, a whole bunch from cover to cover, that's rattling around in my head. We had one of our um, one of our saturated speakers from back in the day that doesn't even really like run in the same stream that we do. He talked about what it means for God to be preeminent in your life. And he said something to the effect of you could reorder your entire life, but if he's not first, your whole life is out of order. Something like that. Mm. That hit me. About that same time, Pastor Britt had come on staff, hadn't been here very long, and said, I want you to listen to this sermon. It talks about money. And he said, I believe about 80% of it. And I listened to it, and I believed about 60% of it, right? <laughs> And this pastor, he's brilliant, man. He's a real brilliant guy out of Texas. And he was on to something, um, but it was, it was kind of temple-focused, kind of Old Testament-focused, for sure. you know? And it was just, I, and I thought, okay, what if I take all these concepts, run it through the filter of the gospel, because the gospel begins not even with our sinfulness, but the preeminence of Christ, Right? that out of an overflow of God's love for God's self, he created image bearers, and then sin came and fractured. Mm -hmm. And so the gospel really starts with the firstness of God. And by God's grace, as I was working on a sermon, he gave me some language. I mean, I I begged, borrowed, stole some of it, and then he he helped me put together some language that Mm -hmm. is we bring back to God our first and best because he first loved us by giving us his best in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think um, outside of just the, like John 3.16 gospel, this has been the most impactful and influential teaching at our church. The first time I ever taught it, our giving went up 100% that weekend and never went down. Mm. And that never happens in preaching. 
Like that's kind of the joke in preaching. Like if you've got a need, like if you don't have enough volunteers, oh, we'll just preach a sermon about it. It usually impacts it for a second, and then everything just resets. Mm. And um, yeah, man. And so we just began. So Pastor Britt had a big influence uh, by sharing some resources with me, and then those other ideas were just rattling around. Mm. And man, one of God's great graces in my life—I'll get emotional if I think about it too much—is God does not owe me a sermon. He does not. Like I go into the woods, I open up the Bible, I pray, same thing to begin, everyone, they're your sheep, they're not my sheep, I'm just an under-shepherd for a season, what do you want to say to your sheep? And I've got his word, so i got a pretty good start, and then he, he like helps me read his word and say what he wants to say to his people, mm. and so that's what he did. Yeah. Pastor Britt, what was that journey like for you? I mean, you've played a big role in it, and still do. I think the foundationally here from the from the beginning of our church that everything is designed around the reality that the gospel demands a response, mm. and uh, and that response, a biblically faithful response, is always obedience, loving obedience rooted in trust, mm. and so all the things that we now have language for from the scriptures that mm-hmm. we say over and over and over again all go back to the core conviction that the gospel demands a response. And so if we're going to be a gospel-centered church, not a uh, an us-centered church or a church-centered church or a church-growth-centered church or a anything-centered church other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what we want to be, gospel-centered, then that means we will be a responsive church. That's right. And and so stepping in here, I shared a few weeks ago about when God called my family to to be a part of serving here. It just was so such a clear-cut call, but it was all a call to gospel alignment and gospel family and gospel uh you know the the doctrine of gospel centrality, and that is a practice. Mm-hmm. And just Pastor Joby preaching Christ crucified in every word, and so it goes before we even got into God is first. And the core conviction was the gospel demands a response. That's right. And God has only as full as our lives are. Our lives are only made up of so many things. We eat, we sleep, we work, we have relationships, and. That's our our life. We produce and cultivate, and there's fruit from that. So in all of these areas of our life, the question is, what is the appropriate response to the gospel? Yeah. And so I think that is just, as a core conviction, I don't want to say it's different, but it is certainly unique um, in, in regards to its effectiveness in discipleship and helping to make disciples effectively of people because Pastor Job was talking tonight just about how often the English language runs into limitations around a true reflection of what I would call a totality of biblical faithfulness in regards to, especially like generosity. It's like, I mean, I know what you mean, but that word falls apart at at the highest levels of doctrine. And so, and it also, so does give And and, but that's, these are two great examples Mm -hmm. where really what we mean is loving obedience rooted or coming from trust mm-hmm. as a response to, to just the reality of who God is. And even before it's like what God has done, which is an outworking of who he is, you have to deal with the reality of who he is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, that, so that's what I love. Uh, anyway, that, that's my history with it. That's the, the, for me, it was started that how are we going to respond as a people to God in this way, um, and since the gospel does demand the response. So, Vinky, there's, um, I've never been a lead pastor until I became the lead pastor of this church, and mm-hmm. it, it, even though I've been in ministry for like 20 years or something like that when we planted this, 19 years, there's some things that you have to deal with as the lead pastor that you don't have the luxury to overlook, any longer. When I was right. the youth pastor, I don't have to figure out our theology of generosity at the church. That's right. what Jerry would do, and I would just do my thing. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. <clears throat> so, as I'm, as I'm, especially in the early days, right, as we're navigating and creating culture and those mm-hmm. kinds of things, a, a part of my frustration with the only two models I knew of um, was I just thought they were very incomplete. The first model was 
uh, giving and generosity and tithing, those kind of things, those are like, once you get to like third base of your spiritual life and you were a spiritually mature person, then at that level of maturity, then you would introduce that discipline. Mm -hmm. Well, the problem is that is the words of Jesus. Something goes first, and he says money goes first, and heart follows that. So how in the world do you wait until then, okay? Mm -hmm. But it was all rooted in the discipline of man. Then, like in the 80s and 90s, along came these, like, uh, the big church growth, mega church kind of things. And there were some very prominent leaders that, that said, no, 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 no. It's not about the discipline of man. It's about the vision of the church. And they made, they, man, they could cast a vision. Right. Well, but, the, but where that fell short, one is you're, you would go home from that conference and you don't have the kind of skills those guys have. And secondly, it was rooted in organizational vision. Like we're going to do all these things. And neither of those smell like us being the recipients of, of Christ coming on a rescue mission. Mm. So the way we do it, it's just rooted in the character and nature of God. Mm -hmm. It's just who he is. And so I think about it that way. And then also I've shared this with our church before. There's kind of a spectrum of giving. Two are bad, yeah. two are good. One is the best. One is people that say, no, I don't give anything. Okay, that's real bad because you think it's all yours, okay? The next is to give to get. Like, I'm going to put God in my debt. This is mm. the heresy of the prosperity gospel. Mm. Not that God doesn't want to bless you. He totally wants to bless you. But he will not be a participant to your idolatry of self. And if you think I give this, then he owes me tenfold, mm. that is real bad, okay? Mm. Then you cross over to good. And it is a good thing to give based on a return on investment to the kingdom. Like, if you give this, we're going to plant this many churches, this is, people get saved, That's you're still in good, but it's still not ultimate. Ultimate is you just bring to him because he's first, period. Mm. And you're completely and totally trusting God with all of it, mm -hmm. period, mm. regardless of what happens. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned, Pastor Britt, that the gospel demands a response, and there's a response even if you think you're not responding. And your because your non-response is your response. Totally. Yeah, it's I am Lord. And I I heard you say I've heard you say this before. I think it's so good. You said, as a church, if we're not discipling our people in the area of finances, we're actually not discipling them. That's that's true. Because of what Pastor Joby just said in regards to the words of Jesus. Yeah. You know, and Jesus says, uh, your your treasure goes first, mm. and then your heart will follow. So something goes first, and it's not your feelings, and um, I think that one of the questions that you have to wrestle with in a lot of categories as a pastor, especially as a preaching pastor or, uh, you know, a, a pastor that stands in front of people and talks and whatever, you have to wrestle down the reality is of this. Do I care more about people or more about what people think about me? Mm. Because if I actually care about the people, then the most important thing is that I'm teaching them the way of Jesus. That's right. Yeah. But if I care about what people think about me, then I'm concerned on will they accept or reject the words that I'm sharing. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And a lot of pastors or, or a lot of churches have either handled this poorly or haven't. They don't really handle this area of discipleship at all until much later in the process because there's a, an ambiguity or an anxiety that I think is rooted in the approval of man so often. And so um, there's, you can't topple idols with idols, buddy. You got to yeah. topple idols with the gospel. Yeah, and, so some of my friends will even be like, uh, you know, do you get nervous teaching on money? And I'm like, what? The only way you would get nervous is if you wanted something from somebody or you were overly concerned about what they thought about you. Totally. Mm -hmm. right. So I, I get no more nervous about preaching on money than I do sexual immorality. Mm. There's going to be a lot of convicting verses about that, right? There's right. a lot of people out of step with God's will in regards to that in their life. And, I, I mean, I don't want anything from anybody at our church. Mm. I, I want for them straight past. I mean, one of the things that I thought was cool, go God, is that have you ever put that famous verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and realized the very first application of that was in finances and honoring God with your first fruits? Mm. No, no. Right. So the old man isn't getting a cut of it. The old man saying to the son, all right, listen, man, there's your ways and you can trust your ways or you can trust his ways, but don't mm -hmm. trust your ways, trust his ways. And it's going to go better for you. Yeah. How, old man? 
Let's start with your money, first fruits. Hmm. If I think about the way that, you know, the church, just maybe the past century of the church, it makes me think that there's some kind of combination of anti-works righteousness, right? Because I think of the Pharisee who says, God, I'm so happy that I do all these things. And one of the things he mentions is his giving. <laughs> right. And... Uh, so there's there's this reaction, maybe an evangelicalism away from, oh, I'm not going to focus on my works, just more about God's love and grace. And the way that like modern psychological nicety and like self-actualization has made its way into evangelicalism makes it seem like, or could potentially explain why this concept of your giving as an evidence of your discipleship is not something you he I hear very often, like sermons or I don't you don't go to the bookstore and be like, well, that's that book. That's what that's about. Is how generous are you as evidence of how much you love Jesus, right? People are much more focused on how do you feel or how's your prayer life? Do you feel close to him? You know, is it uh, do you have this and that gift or or those kind of things? So this is a really uh, man. It's, it's powerful to think through it, especially when you say one out of three of what Jesus is. Uh, versus the, of, of Jesus talking were about finances. Yeah, I, I tried to look it up for me. So um, our the amount of time that we preach on money here is, um, is in the single digit percentages. And so if you think that's too much, you would have hated Jesus' right. teaching ministry. 33% of his sermons were on money. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Yeah. To, to what you're saying, obedience is not a feeling. Right. It is a fact, yeah. and you do what you love. Mm -hmm. Your behaviors reveal what you love, right? Yes. And for me too, and for all of us. And uh, anytime we get into the tr the trippy land of f feelings, are indicative mm. of whether we are trusting and obeying. We're, we have stepped into something totally different than yeah. than biblically faithful Christianity. That said, every feeling that we have, every single feeling that we have is connected to a thought. Right. That's where feelings come from. Hmm. So the question is, which thought produced that feeling, whether it be positive or negative? Mm -hmm. And then the Bible takes it to another level and says, be really careful on the thought level because your heart which is the, the engine of desire, that, right? This, your, all your thoughts are running through this filter and it's pumping out all these feelings, right? Be really careful there because your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Mm -hmm. So my aim of Christian maturity, I believe, is, is to try to free myself from any thoughts that I would produce in and of myself mm. and that the Holy Spirit would fill me with the mind of Christ. Right which is the mind that would produce immediate obedience unto the Father. Right. Because that's what his mind did. That's yep. right. It was immediate, absolute surrender unto the yeah. voice of the Father and yeah. the will of the Father yeah. in all things. And that's there were good. times where Jesus didn't necessarily feel good about that imme immediate obedience unto the Father. And do you know what he did? Mm. He kept doing the thing that the anyway. Father said. That's exactly right. He, he did said, it anyway oh, unto the glory of God. Not my will, but thy will be done. 100%. Yeah. Mm. That's a word right there. I think so many people, myself included at times, it's all about how I feel, right? It's all about, oh, I just don't feel. I mean, how many times you've woken up being like, I just feel like it's a bad day. And you, you live through your day being like, man, it's just, it's a bad, instead of like taking captive those feelings or trying to find where they're coming from. Um, okay, Pastor Joby, you, um, in your notes for this, mm -hmm. had several different Proverbs. So I have a couple of questions because uh, you focus mo uh, mainly in Proverbs 3 and the message. But there's a few that I wanted to ask some questions about, okay? So one of them is Proverbs 11, 24. It says, one gives freely and grows all the richer. You mentioned the prosperity gospel. Okay, so how is this principle of giving and growing richer different than the prosperity gospel? Um, well, you, you know, this, this one is, um, I think it's helpful to read the whole context of this one, although the Proverbs are kind of like yeah. popcorn-y sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes on to say, uh, the people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good, seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. There's the key. Mm. 
but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So the heresy of the prosperity gospel is who is preeminent in the equation. Mm -hmm. So the, the prosperity gospel teaches that what God wants for you is health, wealth, and happiness. And the way to get that is by sowing seed into the kingdom. So if you go first and sow seed into the kingdom, then what he owes you is health, wealth, and, and riches. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with that, it would be the Bible. Like, didn't go good for Paul, didn't go good for Jesus, didn't go good for the disciples. Mm -hmm. So he does wanna bless you, it's just not necessarily in cash and prizes. Mm -hmm. And the heresy is I go first and you have to respond to me and you owe me this. And there's yeah. no way you can put God in your debt. What this is saying is whoever trusts in his riches, like you're trying to use God mm -hmm. as a means to your end, which is more riches. Right. God won't play that game, man. Yeah. The only guy getting rich on that, by the way, is the guy preaching it. Mm -hmm. And it and just track him for a while. It doesn't go good for them. Mm -hmm. They always end up in trouble. But when you just trust God and um, you are righteous, you have a right standing before God, then you will flourish like a green leaf, which reminds me of Psalm chapter one. Mm -hmm. It says, blessed is he who does not walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinner or sit in the seat of the mocker, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And upon it, he meditates day and night and he will be like a tree planted by streams of running water. Right. And then it goes on to say, and everything he does will be blessed. Mm -hmm. God does want to bless you. Mm -hmm in response to his firstness. Mm -hmm. That's different. Yeah. Not only is it wrong in concept because you you disorder the order the right order of things God being first you put yourself in the place of first, but it's wrong in the event that things don't go well in your life because then you start to say like what's what's implied then is that I didn't have faith or I didn't sow into something and th so then you're playing a game where God yeah. your circumstances become the only indicator of God's like approval of you. And what happens over time, man, the more you know Jesus, the more your heart loves the things that Jesus loves. And your priorities in this world just change. They just change. Mm. I mean, I dare, if you've never been on a mission trip, but you've been on some sweet vacations, trust me on this, go on a mission trip and then evaluate which one was more impactful. Because what will happen, man, especially if you got a little bit of fold and change and you do vacation after vacation, you won't even be able to remember. You'll be like, where did we go last year? What did we do? Was that at the beach or was that at the... Like, they just sort of all blur together. And I am pro-vacation, all right? Mm. But what will begin to happen, like when Jesus is quoted in Acts as saying, it is, it is more blessed to give than to receive, that can be trusted. Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, I use the example all the time. We've never received a letter from a compassion kid for $42 a month or whatever it is now and go, oh man, we shouldn't have done that. But there's a number of fast food stops that we've made and spent $42 and go, oh, we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> You'll never do the, oh, we shouldn't have done that right. when you bring your first and best to God. Because what will begin to happen is your desires begin to change and you want to be a part of the kingdom advancement yeah. that you get to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, think about it. I close the night this way. I was just thinking about it. That little boy, it's got his little tiny fish and bread, right? And mm -hmm. and we know this, but the fish wasn't like a delicious bass. It was like a, it was flavoring. It was like relish. You would take like a little tiny sardine and you'd rub it on the bread to make the bread taste away like a fish. <laughs> and that boy, I'm sure when he was like, here, you can have this. And he looked at the 5,000 men plus everybody thought, what is this going to do? Mm -hmm. And then he got to, in his mind, he's getting to think, oh my gosh, Look what God used my little lunch to do. Mm -hmm. All right. And while that miracle was neat, it was neat. What we get to witness around here, like I wish there was a way I could tie into your brain every single time you brought your first and best and we celebrate a salvation and a baptism. That's like, what did my little commitment do? Well, God used that mm -hmm. to plan a church, to open a location, to hire mm -hmm. a person for, for there to be food in his house, which is mm -hmm. the feeding of God's word to God's people. And you get to go, oh my gosh. I mean, did you ever think that you could be a part of baptizing 1,126 people in a day? Well, you were if you brought your fishes and loaves. Mm -hmm. And that miracle, this is what Jesus was talking about. He said, y'all gonna do more than I did. Because mm -hmm. he never baptized that many people. I mean, he fed all his people, but they were hungry the next day. Mm. Like that miracle lasted a second. The miracle of salvation lasts forever. Yeah. 
That's the kind yeah. of stuff we get to be involved in. Yeah, and you touched on that too. That it's I mean, so it says grows all the richer. That richness is like a richness of life. You talk, you talk about the freedom and like this the freedom that you have. You're not bound by it. Like those handles that the world yeah. might have on you are just falling right off when you're free. The danger of 1122. Here's the danger. We got a few like big time ballers here. Okay, a few, and then we have a few people that are like borderline poverty, maybe in poverty. Okay, but the vast majority of us are just like middle America which is the scariest place to be. Mm. And here's why. Because we're not poor enough to know what real need is and have to depend on him for daily bread. Mm. And we're not rich enough to be like Solomon and be like vanity of vanities, it's all vanity. Mm -hmm. We're in the middle where every single one of us can imagine more and we think if we can just get to more, then we'll be there. That's what's dangerous, mm -hmm. really, really dangerous. And what I want us to know is that Jesus is the more. Yeah. The next level will never be it for you. Mm -hmm. It'll just wear off like the new car smell does. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the horizon, right? If yeah. you're looking at the horizon to walk towards, you will never get there because the horizon right. is not a place. Right. It's only as far as your eye can see. Uh, so here's another one. Proverbs 13, 22. And you mentioned this in the sermon tonight, that a godly person will leave an inheritance to its children's children. Correct. So is that, is that primarily money or are there more, is it more to it than that? Uh, it is both. Okay. There is, there is a generational blessing that happens with the gospel. You know, there just is. Yeah. Um, there's also a generational blessing that happens with wisdom. You know, when you raise your kids in a godly way with the, when you teach children how to live in God's world, God's way, mm -hmm. then grandchildren are blessed by that. But it also includes, it just means what it says. It does mean money. Mm -hmm. I mean, God has no problem blessing his people. The key is, I mean, one of the questions I love to ask people is, listen, man, you think more money is going to solve all your problems. If you were God, would you give you more money? Mm. Like if you're, if you're already not spending money in the priorities that God would spend money, then why in the world would he give you more of it mm -hmm. if it's only going to allow you to send more? You can't be trusted. And so we should save. There's nothing wrong with saving. The problem is putting our hope in it. Mm, yeah. That's good. Ecclesiastes 5, 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Why do you think that diminishing, why do you think that return of satisfaction diminishes when you become obsessed with your money? Because it, it just can't do the thing that, it can never do the thing that you're wanting it to do. Right. It can never be the thing that you're wanting it to be. And so the more you want it and the more you obsess over it, I mean, obsess is a very strong word, you know, but the more you, you, you know, lean toward that, for the feelings of security and safety, the the only option is for you to be more and more disappointed because it is a tool, not a trophy. Mm -hmm. And you cannot go into your garage and then and grab a hammer and then all of a sudden be, give that to your child and say, great job playing soccer this season. It's a hammer. It's not a trophy. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so money is a tool to be used for productivity's sake unto the glory of God. Mm -hmm. But we treat it like it's a trophy or though it's a reward for our effort. Mm, yeah. But it's just not that. Yeah. And as long as we have a jacked up view of what it is, yeah. and that, that bleeds into not just money, that bleeds into things like ideas about retirement and, yeah. and the realities of vocation versus ministry versus, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just, it's the, it's the foundational... Uh, a foundational misconception. So I think that's it. It's like you're just obsessing over something wrongly that can never be the thing that you want it, yeah. that you want it to be. So Yeah, and the, and the nature of temporary physical things is the law of diminishing returns, man. Right. I mean, you know what it's like. If, you, if you've ever gotten a new car or a new-to-you car, there's some things you just won't do in that car. You have a new set of worries that you did not have in your old car. 
right? Yeah. Park further away from everybody. That's the biggest thing. You pull up, you're like, when did they slim down all the parking spots here? I'm not. But but when you're a whole car, you're like, and you just put it in there. Yeah. You don't care. Yeah, There's just you're, french fries in the back. You're six months, and it smells Bro. like an old french fry. That's yeah, so you're like, keep the windows up, kids. The new car smells leaving, you know? You get obsessed over these things, uh, and the moment, whatever that thing is, whatever the stuff is, it just, Yeah. I mean, you know, it's 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 like a I don't know a hot tub, hot hot shower. When you first get in, it's shocking, and then you just adjust to it, mm-hmm. and it's just the the water that you're in, man. Like, right. think about your house when you first, whatever the house is, when you first got your first house, you were like, oh my gosh, we have a house. Can you believe this? You sign like you sign your name like eight thousand times. Like, what am I signing? I have no idea. I just want that key. Give me that key. Right, right. And then after a few, years, it's just your house. Right. And it's fine until you until you're like, you know what, we probably need a this is a starter home. We need it we need a different home. And then you you know, and eventually mm-hmm. that house is just your house. It's just yeah. the nature of mm-hmm. all things temporary. I loved I love what you said, Pastor Joby, when you said we have all the evidence that we need because if money really did make you happy all the wealthiest people would be the happiest people. Right. And they're not. They're the worst. <laughs> It's actually the opposite yes. in, a, in a lot of cases. I mean, some of the most joy-filled people I've ever met in my entire life mm-hmm. live in some of the most abject, poverty-stricken situations that you can imagine. For mm-hmm. fact. You know, and so and I'm, on a global context, I mean, mm. you know, that that that's a head-scratcher in a lot of ways until you're in it for about 10 minutes and then all of a sudden you hear them pray one time yeah, and you're like, okay, it makes a little bit more sense why you got so much joy considering your circumstances when you listen to them pray. Mm. They just know God on a uh, on a they they know that they know that they need God, and that's a different kind of relationship when you are constantly aware of your need for Him. Mm. You know what I mean? So, bro, yeah, and then you you. I mean, Pastor Britt and I have together have been to East Africa more times than we can count. And afterwards, we'll be like, isn't it weird how we have all the stuff and I am strangely jealous of these people that have, like, their kids aren't starving to death, you know. Um, They got barely enough to get by day by day. But, man, their dependence on the Lord. They, like, when Paul talks about having uh, a secret, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Mm -hmm. For us, man, that's like a theological concept. For them, it is an existential reality Mm -hmm. that they live in. Mm. And you're like, oh, I know the answer, but I'm not walking in it like you walk in it. Mm. So what do you say to the person who decides to go the opposite direction of the prevailing belief? And they say, well, I think actually what God wants me to be is poor and have nothing. Like I'm, I'm actually holier if I have, you know, I have a one shirt, I drive an old beat up car and I'm better than all y'all. Uh, if he's comparing and that's not good, that would be evidence that it's not the good shepherd because the good shepherd is not like, hey, sheep, you want to know how to be the best sheep? You know what I mean? That's not how he does. It's like lay down your life. That's how you be the best. There is no doubt in my mind that there, there are individual convictions of believers that have been called to a very simple lifestyle for yeah. all the right reasons, and they should totally do that. Mm. The thing I would say, though, is that if you are broke, you can't be generous. You can only be generous once. But if God has called you to a life of generosity, you better be producing a lot of income in order that you can continuously be a source of God's goodness and grace to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So you, you never have to apologize for how much money you make as long as you make it in a, in a righteous way. And I don't mean righteous even like, a, like, a, like as long as you do it in a legal, non-sinful way. You know what I mean? See last week's sermon about no secular, sacred divide. Right. Now, you, you probably need to repent if you're spending it all on you. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference. So just like the prosperity gospel is a heresy, so is the poverty gospel. Mm. The way you got to think about it is it's not just rich and poor. There's righteous rich and, unri- and, and, and wicked rich. And there's righteous poor and wicked poor. Yeah. I mean, some people are poor because they don't work. See last week's sermon. Yeah. And some people are rich because they're, cutting people's knees off. That's not. The Bible all throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New, uses very, very, very rich people for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Joseph of Arimathea was a baller. I mean, to have your own 
individual tomb carved out of the side of a mountain, you're you're in the top one percent of the one percent. You are a baller. Mm-hmm. It's where the resurrection happened. Mm-hmm. It's like the most important thing ever. If that guy is so poor that he does not own a tomb, it changes the whole like. It's not like God would be in heaven like, oh, no, what am I going to do? He organized all that, right? right? right. Abraham was loaded, loaded, yeah. you know? Solomon loaded. I mean, so the, the key is, are you going to be righteous or wicked right. with what God has given yeah. you? You start reading about some of these cats and how, how many head of donkeys and yeah. sheeps and stuff. It's just like that many thousands of camels is how many you had. That's, that's some wealth, especially back then. How many camels you got? I have no camels. I've ridden a camel though. <laughs> I have. Uh, what was there? A, was there a flute playing in the background? <laughs> <of thing? laughs> no, I've ridden actually multiple camels. Yeah. I have quite a few camel stories that Ooh. I am not going to tell that yeah. they shall not live on the internet forever. <laughs> okay, so Pastor Joby, you said that uh, you said something tonight. Um, that a first fruit first fruits giving is the only kind of the only way to give by faith. Correct. Unpack that a little bit more. Um, well, the difference between Cain and Abel is Cain took in the whole harvest, mm-hmm. see what he had left, and in an amount of time he gave an offering. That's mm-hmm. just leftovers, man. Mm-hmm. That's different than bringing my first and my best. Mm-hmm. Because what it means to give by faith is I'm going to give first. What if something comes up this month and I've got to cover that bill and I don't know if I have enough to cover it? Mm. Well, if you do that, then you're putting your trust in you to cover the bill. And then if you have enough left over, bring to God. Mm-hmm. God doesn't do it, man. He doesn't eat crumbs off the table. I'm just telling you, he is first. So mm. what you're saying is, God, I trust you for my security and satisfaction before any of the rest of the month gets mm. here. I'm bringing you first. So the way practically it works out for me and G, we want to do first, best, and most. It's just a conviction that we have. I want, if you, so I give the elders my tax returns, right? And so I want, if they, if you didn't even know me, like my accountant or whatever that guy is that does this, if he looks at it without ever knowing me, he can tell what I love the most. And the most money that we spend is 1122. Mm-hmm. And so you would look at that and you'd be like, this, this guy loves this the most. So we decide on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, the first money that we're going to spend every week is we bring it to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And there is blessing in that. And yep. there is more that, so there's the natural blessing that if you just learn to live on less than you make, you'll always have enough, mm-hmm. right? Then I'm telling you, he puts some super on that natural. Now, I don't think it's, I don't think it blows up if I wait until after the last service and Gretchen stops and get a coffee on the way. And I'm like, oh, no. Well, first of all, why'd you even do that? We have free coffee at church, but don't worry about that. You know, if the first money went to Starbucks or something. But our heart is that we do this first. One of the things I say to all the people that have signed up for recurring giving, that's exactly what they've done. Mm. It's like pre-first. It's like we have pre-decided that this is what's going first is mm. our commitment to the Lord. Mm. That's faith. And man, what an, I mean, a crazy statement from God is without faith, it is impossible to mm-hmm. please God. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you could be doing all the right things without faith and God is not pleased. How is faith like a muscle, like that you exercise and then it grows stronger? Because that sounds like what you're talking like You're saying, hey, I'm going to do this. And by doing it, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to grow my faith. Yeah, I think the, I mean, the Holy Spirit's the one growing, growing faith. Uh, the way we partner with Him in that is, it's really what the, when Lonnie and Megan and Phillips were sharing in the testimony video tonight mm. before the sermon, they were saying, we felt the good, you know, the good shepherd told us to do a thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it felt weird and it felt opposite, I mean, out of our normal. But we did it. Somehow the Holy Spirit led us to talk about it. We agreed, and we did it. Mm-hmm. And I know them very, very well now. I didn't know them back then. Um, and now their, their life is tuned into the voice of the Good Shepherd regularly, and what felt weird and what felt abnormal and what felt out of character for them now is their life every day. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm mm-hmm. saying? 
that they just hear God's voice and they just do what he says and as it lines up with scripture. And so they, and I'm talking major life decisions. We're talking quitting jobs to, to go to do massive missional work uh, with, with unreached peoples and um, being deeply devoted to intercessory prayer at the great expense to personal household income. Does that make sense? And, at one point, at one point in their life, it felt weird to like bless one person. Fast forward that thing over years and years and years and years of faith, practicing faith as God says, and now what seems what would fall into the Christian radical category for them is their normal. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? So that's how it grows: is one step at a time. And I will say this. Uh, your understanding grows slow, grows a little more slowly than your desire for the obedience. You tracking with me? So you say yes to Jesus. God proves himself faithful. Mm. You just keep saying yes to him. And then over time, you look back and you understand what God was up to back then. Yeah. But now your appetite for obedience to him is so significant that it's yeah. almost hard to satiate with anything but but obedience but you you you're not obeying as you understand you're yeah. obeying and then the understanding comes later does that make sense yeah and that's really important for for somebody listening because there's a lot myself included there's a lot of us that want to understand first and sometimes you don't sometimes you're not going to understand before you obey yeah cuz then it's not trust that's right it's just, it's just, you know. Sometimes you understand, like, oh, okay, this makes sense, and you obey. But, sure. like, it doesn't always happen that way. I, I would argue it rarely happens that way mm. in, in the life of faith because we live by faith, not by sight. And I would say, let's just take salvation. By, when I say salvation, specifically what I mean is justification in a relationship with God by faith alone, because of grace alone, through Christ alone, salvation. I was not a Christian. I repented of my sins and surrendered my life unto Jesus Christ as my Lord. I am now a follower of Jesus. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm saved. You have no idea what you're doing <laughs> when you do that. Like you don't understand one. All you know is the brass tacks of I'm hearing me. words. Someone's sharing something with me and I can't not do something in response to that. And you do it. Mm -hmm. You spend literally the rest of your life trying to understand what happened to you in that moment. That's right. The rest of your life, you're trying to unpack what is now, what became true of you absolutely yeah. in that moment. It's already true. It was true before you even woke up to it. Mm. But your awareness of its truth, mm. does that make sense? Yeah. And so you don't understand a thing. And that obedience matters a ton. So, so I used to have this, like when I got saved, I went, I went all in. I did not ease my way in, not that you can, but dude, I mean, I was like the biggest partier, fighter, drinker, all the things in high school. And then I go to camp and I come back and I'm like, I'm a Christian. And I bought four Christian t-shirts and I wore them every week. And I wore my Lord's Gym one on Monday and Friday, all right? Just, and then I had another one that uh, it had a cross. This is probably bad it had a cross but instead of like the cross beam it had muscle arms like that and it and it said faith is like a muscle that grows with exercise that's what i would wear i'd be one of them all right and so but i thought about it so the question that you said it's like yeah faith is like a muscle right so it grows with exercise the way f muscles grow is when you work out you literally tear them apart tear them down there's a stretching and an overexertion that tears them down and then they get fed with rest, water, sodium, and protein, and then they rebuild bigger to be able to accomplish what you did last time. Mm. And, and nobody works out one time, and then all of a sudden you got muscles. It's over. It's a cumulative effect. The small deposits of a long as period of time. As much as we wish that was true. <laughs> you can get fat quick, but you can't get muscles quick. Okay, so. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. And then what begins to happen is that when you step up this weight, and you be like, can I lift this weight? Well, the evidence that you can is you look back over time and be like, I've worked up to this. Okay, well, f what grows your faith from your perspective, our perspective, is not your growing faith, but the faithfulness of God over time. Can mm. he be trusted? Mm. Ultimately, if we, if we have 
clear vision, the thing we look back to is Romans 5, 8, that he's already demonstrated his faithfulness at the cross. Mm -hmm. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, mm -hmm. all right? And because of his faith, like you ever see a parent throwing up a kid like in the air, tossing mm -hmm. him and catching him, and the kid is just laughing and enjoying it? The reason the kid can enjoy it is because their parent has always been faithful to catch them. So they will run up and actually ask for them to do this terrifying thing mm -hmm. because they find great joy in it because of the faithfulness of their mom or dad. Mm -hmm. That's what being rich towards God is. Mm -hmm. I've done this a few times now. Gretchen and I are praying over the number that we're going to write down. If you use the muscle analogy, if we don't stretch and tear something apart to get there, it ain't faith. Mm -hmm. And so we try to, I mean, you know, we do. We're like, all right, Lord. And the reason is because he has only been faithful every single time, period. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So uh, I want to ask if there's a story that comes to mind about related to giving or, or generosity or bringing and how it's, how it's impacted you. And I don't want to put this, I don't necessarily want to tee this up if you've got a different story, but I remember you telling a story um, I think it must have been in Before All Things about when JP was younger and mm -hmm. the giving kiosk and the story that you told them. And uh, that, that one has stuck with me on your behalf. But uh, is, there, is there a story that comes to mind about, about how this has impacted your family or you and your relationship with the Lord? I'm sure there are many. Yeah, I'll give you two. I'll give you one that I hesitate to preach uh, just because of the details of it, but we'll do it for podcast world. Gretchen and I had been saving for a pool to put in our backyard, which is not cheap, right? And we don't make any significant financial decisions without the elders, not because it's not like in our bylaws or whatever. It just seems like a, the wise thing to do. Yeah. So if we do anything out of that, like if we buy a car, if we anything, whatever, like they help us choose what home we live in, all that stuff. <clears throat> and so we'd saved some cash and we were going to have to get a small loan to do a pool in our backyard. <clears throat> and we were trying to like be the house the kids would come to, yada, yada, right? So I go to the elders. I'm like, can we, we want to do a pool and we have saved X amount of dollars. And they're like, of course you should for all the right reasons. Da, da, da. We're like, cool. We were doing before all things. We went on the first vision summit. Gretchen and I sit down on the first morning and read the little journal questions. And it says something like, you know, what are you spending and why and what do you need to stop? And Gretchen looked at me and I looked at her and I, re I remember thinking, oh, no. And she went, crap, we're not getting a pool, are we? And I went, no. <laughs> I was like, I just said, not yet, not yet. We will be able to. It's just, it's to your commitment. But let's take like the percentage that we think we can do with a stretch and then let's just lay this cash on top of it, and it would be way beyond we've, what we've ever been able to do. And we just felt convicted, okay? So we go back to the elders. We're not getting a pool. And they're like, oh, you should get a pool. We're like, well, we're not going to get a pool because we're giving it to before all things. And how, they can't argue with that. They're like, yeah, okay, you're probably right. All right. We turn in our commitment. And this is complicated in preacher world. But right now, media, who we all have subscriptions to, they reached out to me for the very first time and said, we want you to record multiple Bible studies, like these multi-day video shoots where you're teaching Bible studies. Blah, blah, blah. Would you be okay with doing this? And I'm like, of course I would. Right now, media gets the gospel all over the place. It's a, re it's a big honor to be invited to do that. And I'm like, cool. They're like, all right, let's just send you over a contract. It was to the dollar of the money that we had been saving for the pool and... I mean, to the dollar, okay? So I call Grace, I'm like, we're getting a pool. She's like, what have you done? And I was like, I'm gonna preach, I'm gonna preach. And we get a pool, okay? So I go back to the elders. We're getting a pool again, you know, here's why. Okay, so we, we get the pool. The appreciation I have for that thing now when I sit out by it, 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 is, a, it is a gift, of, it was already a gift of God, mm -hmm. but if he'd have let us get it without giving our pool money to the before all things, yeah. Now it is a, I, I can't help but know that it's a gift of God. Yeah. And so I just appreciate it in a completely different way than I would have. Mm. And again, man, we're a long way from East Africa struggling to feed the kids. We're talking about pool or no pool. So we ain't <laughs> suffering. But that was it, man. We trusted God and he was like, here you go. 
You said you had two stories. Yeah, that, Brett, do you have one to tell in the middle? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I have, I have a story and a struggle. And so I'll tell the story first. The, um, my wife and I helped plant a church one time in Alabama. Lord and, knows they need it over there, right? And um, <laughs> we were young, married, and, and had a great situation. And we just thought, you know what, let's leave this great situation in our 20s and go buy a house and plant a church in a college town. This will this will go great. And so we did, and it was early 2008 when we bought mm-hmm. that house and we planted that church in a college town. Within seven months, the recession hit of 2008. The church was failing, and we were completely broke. Mm. When you said we don't know what it's like to be broke, I do actually know what it's like to be broke. I know what it's like to be broke and to owe the banks a lot of money Mm -hmm. and not have it. Mm -hmm. And um, through that the, the first thing you want to grab, and even back then, I had no concept theologically of first fruits. It was very, it was very much a, obligatory. But even then, it was, it was trust as far as I understood tithing to be trust at the time. Do you understand mm. what I'm saying? Right. And uh, we we tried to we we stayed at it, uh, non-negotiable. Um, but we came quickly to the place where it was like there is no there's no. Christmas this year, there's no, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we got down to our last few hundred dollars and, uh, just out of nowhere, this godly old man who had just kind of been hanging around our church, uh, he, he sent his son-in-law over to our house with an envelope and that man, I had already told my wife that night, I said, tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up. And I'm going to call my uncles who ran, who were running a really successful business back in Atlanta. I said, I'm going to call them and tell them I'm moving home. And if you would have me, I just want to work for you guys and learn the business. And I, so I was on my way out. Mm-hmm. And um, that guy showed up in my driveway with this envelope of cash just because God told him that mm. give them this money. So he gave that to us, and it was that one man's generosity toward us that completely changed hmm. our direction. And I just remember praying, God, I just, I hope one day you would put me in that situation hmm. on the other side. Hmm. And not to share stories or details, but by God's grace, we've been able to be on the other side of that a countless number of times. Not countless, but dozens of times. And that's an individual story where God used one person's generosity toward us, right? Um, And then you talk about when you actually come, when it comes to like making commitments. My wife and I take that super serious. We pray over it. We fast. We think. We talk. Every single time we've made a commitment to our church, to to God through 1122, we've gone and prayed and talked about it and come back and had the exact same number every single time that we've this is our third time through and we've had the exact same number without preemptive discussion Hmm. just as a as a result of revelation and i'm just telling you it is you say it all the time you can do it based on reason or revelation as soon as we got off the like percentage giving train and spreadsheet thing Mm -hmm. and we went into the like god just tell us what to do and even if it sounds absurd to us we're just going to do it Mm -hmm. um because I know that old, my, that one man that night thought it sounds a little crazy for me just to hand a envelope of cash to these young, but I'm going to do it, God, because you're telling me to. Mm-hmm. I know what it is to be on the other side of that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then so, anyway, there's I've got lots of stories, but it's just save one or two relationships. Learning to trust God in this way in this area of life has by far been the most transformative discipleship tool in my family and in our marriage and in our life mm. more than anything else. We don't we never argue over finances. We never argue over that we don't worry about having enough ever. 
not because we're loaded or anything even close to it. I mean, come on. But just God's just been faithful, and that area of worry and anxiety has just almost lost all of its fangs in mm. our life mm. because of God's faithfulness, uh, you know, in the last 12 to 15 years. So, you know. And then all of a sudden, I said I had a struggle. I don't have all this worked out in my mind, and so if this just goes to an unhelpful or unhealthy place, we'll just edit it out with the, the editing magic. My one more died this morning. Mm. It's been messing with me pretty good, you know? And so I'm thinking about, like, God, I know God's sovereign, and I, and I know that it's all in his hands, but I'm like, you know, what miracles are on the table still? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how to connect all of this to that, and I don't know that it even... Somehow it is all connected. I can't explain it, you know. And But I think about the, the number of one mores that are on the other side of our church taking these steps of trust. Yep. And it all ultimately belongs to the Lord. Um, but it just it's just got a different weight in my life today. Because I... I I don't know. I can't say with confidence. Right. And I th- that said, I, I can connect the mission and the work and the call of the local church directly to the salvation of human souls. Right. Hmm. And part of fueling that work is his people trusting him in, in all, the, all the areas of their life, including this one. Hmm. So it's like if my yes in this way helps somebody's one more mm. experience the good news of Jesus, what else am I doing here, man? Right. What else do I got? Mm. You know, wow. so it's been a day for sure. Wow, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what drives us is that our, our, our bringing is just rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, mm. and it's the gospel that saves Right. So the other story that you ask about is actually rooted in Exodus 13. If I read it all, it'd be very confusing. Uh, Moses is giving instruction to the people of God that when they get into the promised land, which is land of flowing with milk and honey, that you're going to move in the houses that you didn't build and eat out of refrigerators that you didn't pack. I mean, it's just this is a, a gift from God. And then he talks about the consecration of the firstborn. And it's again, it's the principle of preeminence. All the firstborn of your livestock belong to the Lord. Then he goes on to give a gospel foreshadowing and you need to sacrifice a clean animal to redeem the unclean. Sound familiar? Because in the gospel, it's crazy, man. When clean touches dirty, the dirty gets clean. Everywhere else in the world, when the clean touches dirty, the clean gets dirty, but not in the gospel. Mm. So it's a picture of the lamb that's coming. Mm -hmm. Then he says... In verse 14, and when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? So years ago, before we built out this side of the Walmart, and we were just on the other side, and we used to have these giving kiosks, and my poor children have had to like live at church so long. Now JP drives so they can kind of come and go as they please, (laughs) but back in the day, and Gretchen used to lead worship every weekend. And so my children would be here all the time. So it was after the 1122 service, and I told you, my, our family's practice is on the first day of the week, the first thing that we do is go to the, we had the little thing where you swipe the card and you put in our number, okay? And then you pick how much you're going to give and you, you know, whatever. <clears throat> Church is over that day, and JP was with me. I think we were probably going to baseball. And one of the giving kiosks was in the hallway behind my office, and there's a little pew there. <clears throat> and so I swiped the thing. And normally he pays attention to nothing. But that day, for whatever reason, he was right. He was about that same height. And so he could see the number that we put in, that I put in, you know. And again, if you saw the number, just depending on where you are financially, there'd be some people that'd be like, oh, that's cute. You know, you're just a poor country preacher. There are other people that would think, wow, that's generous. For whatever he was, eight years old, when he saw our weekly number, he goes, dad. Why are we giving so much money to the church? And I'm like, first of all, Scooter, we ain't giving anything. <laughs> this is me and your mama. Like, you cost me money. You ain't contributing jack, you know? So, 
in my mind, I think in Bible verses, call it, you know, just a, a product of my occupation. I thought about this verse. Moses says, there's gonna come a time when this, your sons are gonna say, what does this mean? So imagine there's these farmers and the son is taking over the family's ranch business and he's gonna come up and be like, dad, what are you doing? You're killing our bottom line. Why are you giving the first and best of our livestock? I mean, I know your grandparents said it was important and I've heard stories about, you know, the, the tabernacle and all this, but what does this mean? You're killing us. Why don't we wait and give last? Why don't we give the gimpy ones? You're killing us here. Mm. And then Moses says, when your son asks, here's what you answer. When he says, what does this mean? You shall say, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. So when JP's like, Dad, why are we give so much money to the church? <clears throat> I put my backpack down. I got eyeball to eyeball with him. And I said, boy, listen, I am not always the man that you know as your dad. I was a slave in Egypt. Let me tell you what that means. I was a slave to my own sin. I did what I want. I mistreated people. I was bad. I was very, very bad. Mm. And by God's mighty right hand, he saved me. He plucked me out of the sin, the slavery of sin, and he brought me to the promised land, which is salvation in him. Mm. And everything we have is from him. And so we will gladly bring our first and our best because when I didn't deserve it, he saved me. Mm -hmm. And he heard all that. And I explained it in a way an eight-year-old would understand. And then he just simply said, he didn't know what to say. <clears throat> so he just gave me a hug and he said, I'm glad you're my dad. Mm. When we bring our first and our best, mm. we're just going, I'm glad you're my dad. Mm. That's the root of why we do it. Mm because of this, the mighty right hand of God, because mm. he saved us. Mm. What else are we going to do? Amen. I love that story. Thanks for sharing it. Um, how about one audience question? Sure. Why not give like straight to people in need or to the poor? Uh, why bring to the church instead? Uh, first and foremost, it's because you release it to the Lord. You're not in control of it. Every, there's good giving. There's good giving. That it isn't always gospel giving. And even when we do good things uh, for the sake of our neighbor, we are still ultimately in control of what is happening there. Mm -hmm. When you, as an act of surrender, I mean, at least we do get to see ROI, man. All in out the Old Testament, it's just dead lambs <laughs> under the glory of God. It was, it was like, I am relinquishing control because he is first. Mm. And what you can know about a gospel-centered local church is that gospel giving is what needs to be preeminent, not just good giving. Mm -hmm. There are many, many, many good things to give to. The Bible would distinguish between tithes, offerings, and gifts. Ties first and best belongs to the Lord. Gretchen and I also sponsor kids, sponsor missionaries. We give to Boys and Girls Club because only because of who's president of it right now, and they leverage it for the gospel. <clears throat> but that, that's over and above what we bring through the local church. Mm -hmm. And the local church is God's plan A to accomplish the Great Commission, period. Amen. That Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, mm -hmm. not my nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And there are many nonprofits too that this church supports mm. that we partner with for sure. But because you're bringing it to the Lord's house. Mm -hmm. And if you're walking in faithfulness in, in this area of stewardship, you're, you're just not going to have to choose between either or. Yeah. It, yeah. it is an and both reality. Mm -hmm. And the more you have eyes to see what God's doing in the world, through the lens of what God's doing in and through your local church, the more compelled you will be to act in the individual situations that God may put you in. And we are better together. And so we can help more people together than I can by myself. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it's, and it all works together. It's, they're not competing. It's not a competing set of, of yeah. values. You know what I'm saying? So when, if you'll see the maturity of the church in the book of Acts, so Acts first starts, I mean, the yeah. spirit of God falls, everybody's, you know, 
3,000 people get saved, get baptized. They start meeting together house to house, break bread, do Bible study together, <clears throat> and they all meet one another's needs. But it's not sustainable. This thing is a growing organization. By the time you get to Acts chapter 4, they are bringing their tithes and offerings and laying it at the feet of the apostles, and the apostles are making decisions. By the time you get to Acts chapter 6, they, uh, they have matured organizationally, organizationally, and the pastors and preachers are spending time preaching and praying, and then they ordain some people to go and take the food services to the window, widows that need to be fed. But it was all going through the local church. It wasn't just the folks saying, hey, I'll handle this by myself. Mm. You can actually see the maturity of the, the local church within the first few weeks of its existence. Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful. Well, it's a, it's a very important series. It's an important weekend. We praise God for everything that he's doing. All glory belongs to him. So, Pastor Joby, any closing thoughts, any closing words, and then a prayer for us? Um, man, <laughs> what a blessing to be at such a a church that is so faithful Amen. in bringing their first and best to the Lord. Amen. I mean, um, we, you actually, you're so faithful. We have churches from all over the country come to learn from us, particularly when it comes to this, mm -hmm. to what it, mean, what it looks like to be faithful in stewardship to the Lord. Mm. Um, and it's, that's not because of us. That's because <laughs> of the people that God has called to be a part of this church. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Father in heaven, Lord, I pray for uh, Pastor Britt's heart. Mm. Lord, I pray that you would give him a peace that transcends understanding. But Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the urgency of eternity. Mm. Um, Lord, I pray that we would truly bring you the first and best in our resources, in our time, in our affections, in our emotions. That because you are first and because you went first, God, we would just continuously in every area of our life that we would bring our first and best to mm. you. And God, we thank you so much for your incredible faithfulness because you that's all you can be mm -hmm. because you are the source of faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs> the end. You nailed it.